Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Molly, the time is ticking on the podcast. We are now up to the 14th studio album, Paper Gods. We're almost right up to date. Uh, I can't believe we've come this far. I know. Where the hell has time gone? And and how the hell have you put up with me for this long? <laughs> <laughs> this is one. We, we say this every episode, how much we're looking forward to doing each episode. And I think we do anyway. It's, it's always been great fun. But Given the amount of comments and the diversity of opinion that we received for the Paper Gods album, I'm really looking forward to getting through those comments, but then also chatting through the album with you. I mean, we have always applauded how diverse the opinions are of the Duran Duran fans, but I have been rather intrigued by this one this time around, and, and I'm really looking forward to, to talking through everybody's tweets that they put up there. And uh, to wade in on the conversation. Yeah, this has been a really interesting one. Absolutely. But before we do that, I wanted to read this email that we got. We got this really quite wonderful email that came in recently from Eva Foster, who's based in Melbourne in Australia. Uh, so I just wanted to, to read this out, partly because uh, it's always nice when somebody says nice things about you. So I just thought we'd just uh, massage our own egos with uh, Eva's lovely email. So if you bear with me, I'm just going to read this email that we, re- we received. It says, Hi, Paul and Molly. As we approach the end of your wonderful podcast series, I wanted to send a note to say thank you. It's been such a ride over the year and I've enjoyed every minute. Early last year, I didn't think I was still a Duran Duran fan. In fact, I didn't think about them much at all. And I certainly didn't see them as part of my life as an adult in my 50s. I still had strong memories, though, of my devotion to the band, starting as a 12-year-old in Melbourne, Australia in 1981-82. I recall the first time I saw them in a local music show, and I was immediately entranced. Their sound, their image, and Simon with his charisma, mesmerising voice, and enchanting lyrics. I was one of the slightly obsessed fans with walls and ceilings plastered with posters. I wrote poems about Simon that were published in a teen girl's magazine. At this time, perhaps a little like Molly, my fascination with all things British began. I had a British pen pal who was a Duran fan who sent me cool merch, and I dreamt of visiting one day. I even designed and knitted my own jumper, pink with Duran Duran and white wool. Can you believe it? She goes on to say in the course of the email that like many others, she dipped back enthusiastically but briefly into the Duran world with the wedding album in her mid-twenties. And she, I even thought Thank You was a pretty good album. I know I'm one of the few. I'm not sure why, but after that, my interest waned. By this time, I started living life in the UK that I'd always dreamt of and was happy with how things had turned out for me. Fast forward 20 years, I moved back to Melbourne and a British husband and two young kids later, and I stumbled across All You Need Is Now. I loved the retro sound, even saw them in concert in Melbourne, but somehow things went quiet for me again after that. Perhaps due to being a distracted young mum, I'm really not sure. Then early last year, my 16-year-old daughter asked me what I was into and encouraged me to listen to more music. I took her advice and went into the back catalogue, and that's when I stumbled across your podcast, completely by chance, just at the right time, at the beginning. And so I've been an avid listener since. It definitely makes my Saturday morning housework so much more bearable. I've reacquainted myself with the albums I know, and I've kicked myself. I missed years of great music that I never knew existed. I've enjoyed your banter and the anticipation of future past. 
and hearing from fans from right around the globe. And not surprisingly, I'm in love with pretty much every song on the album. Strangely, although I've been away for a long time, it kind of makes me feel proud. So thank you both for exposing me to the world I forgot, and which is bringing me such unexpected joy. As for a top three, Eva says, I honestly don't know. And she says, I'll, re- I'll reserve my judgment until I've heard them all. Paper God's still to go, which is what we're recording tonight. So from the other side of the world, it's been so much fun. So that's Eva Foster in Melbourne. And it was such a lovely email to just drop into our, our mailbox. So if anybody else has got lovely emails to send us, <laughs> the email address is duranduran uh, at But to temper that, we're not the biggest ego heads. So, you know, happy to take on board any criticisms as well. You know, that has made me just emotional hearing it again. It's just so fantastic that somebody wanted to take the time to do that. And, you know, we have had so much fun doing this podcast. And, and you know, I was very much like her in so many different ways and that I had kind of lost my way with Duran Duran. And this has just brought me right back into the fold. So, you know, fantastic. Just great music. Why not listen to it all? Well, Paper Gods is the album for the podcast tonight. came out in September 2015. As I said, it was the 14th studio album. People have very uh, firm views, positive and negative, which we're going to hear about shortly. But we always just start with just a, a quick chat and how what our, our feelings, initial feelings on the album overall are or even were when it first came out? Well, I didn't know anything about it because I think I had heard Astronaut and then they fell off the radar, very much like Eva again, that Duran Duran disappeared a little bit for me. So I didn't hear it. I didn't listen to it in 2015. Um, so I was coming at it this time around with fresh ears. And a lot of the albums that Duran Duran have done, you had to listen to them quite a number of times before you start to get it and, and before I started to really enjoy it. But this one, I'll give it away now. I've enjoyed it from the first time I started listening to it. I love this album. Well, do you know, I, I was really engaged with Duran Duran at the time it came out because I've mentioned it once or twice. I, I wrote a book of short stories called As Easy As A Nuclear War, which is every short story inspired by a Duran Duran song title. And that came out in June 2015. And I was aware that they were bringing a new album. So it was very much, I was listening to a lot of the, a lot of the albums at the time. I was writing the stories. And then, so I was quite excited when Paper Gods came out. So I really, at the time, probably for the first time in quite a while, I was really anticipating a new Duran Duran album coming out. I mean, once we get through it, we can obviously talk in depth about each track. And I think I'm, you know, I'm certainly... Probably opposed to most of the people who have probably been quite negative about the album. And I'm quite surprised at the, the level of negativity. But I, there was a interview with Duran Duran in the Sunday Mail, which is a newspaper that comes out in Scotland, just the day before we were recording this episode. And it was quite interesting. They were promoting Future Past, but also they're playing a, a gig uh, later on this year in a stadium up in Inverness. But it was quite interesting that there was a, quote, a couple of quotes from Simon and it resonated with me and with what we're going to talk about tonight and also what some people were saying in terms of why they didn't like Paper Gods. And Simon says, so he's talking about the influence of David Bowie. He says, he's someone we always look back to in all sorts of ways, but as a template for how to conduct a career. He never made the same album twice, which for us is one of the things that made him so exciting. That's a really important part of how we look at our career. We've always wanted to develop and make new records. It can be difficult as you end up making a record that is difficult and not what your fans want, but 10 years later, they might see it differently. I've been listening to our Red Carpet Massacre album recently, which was probably our least popular record with fans, but I'm really glad we made it and did the work with Justin Timberlake, etc., etc. So I, as soon as I read that, I thought it was really interesting. And I wonder, one of my theories on why Paper Gods had a kind of lukewarm, has a lukewarm appeal with fans is almost feels like, you know, that way because... On the one hand, we praise them for being different each time, but at the same time, you still want more of the same. And it's almost like the chronology's been wrong. Like, if Astronaut came out, people would have been happy if All You Need Is Now came out after that. But then I think Paper Gods feels like a, a more natural successor to Red Carpet Massacre. It's almost like a roller coaster of one sound and then another, and then they kind of take us back to what we know with All You Need Is Now and then kind of take us in a completely different direction. I like that, but obviously not everybody does. Yeah, and I think kind of the history of Duran Duran albums is 
and I think a few people have commented on in the past is like they'll make a Kraken album, the next one bombs, and then they then it kind of maybe a little bit mediocre, and then they pick themselves up again. So they they have been very much peaks and troughs, I think. But I see totally what you're saying about the the link back to Red Carpet Massacre. I think it it makes a very nice pathway. Red Carpet Massacre, Paper Gods into Future Past, because I think. Paper Gods is a really nice prequel to Future Past. And I think there are definitely some flavors in Paper Gods that you hear again in Future Past. So actually, maybe it's just a, a sign that in their older age, they're becoming more consistent. But also, I think it's such a subjective thing. So for me, I think out of those last, what we would call the post-reunion albums, Astronaut is the least favorite of mine. So I, I would put Red Carpet Massacre, Paper Gods above Astronaut. I think since they've got back together and then obviously as the four piece, I think there's been a consistency in what they've produced. You already know my views about Red Carpet Massacre. I'm not sure <laughs> it's doing an album. But um, I really do think that whilst I've always loved Duran Duran for the Duran Duran sound, I think it was this one, Paper Gods, where it's like, okay, this is, this is Duran Duran, but it's such a contemporary sound and it is of the times. And that's an absolute positive for me that you know they have just brought themselves right up to the 21st century and it just it makes me think that yeah they can absolutely hold their own in any top 40 and it's not just a nostalgia piece if i had one thing that i was quite negative about the album is that i, I think the artwork and the covers terrible we grew up in an era of vinyl albums and the album covers themselves were works of art and I think it was a quite famous artist that did the design for that cover. It did strike me as, a, as an art project from a, for an 11-year-old to make a collage and give him a few themes from Duran Duran. It just, and, and I think if, it's a, if you're talking about a piece of music, then that's fine if the greatest bit of negativity is actually the artwork of the cover. It's pretty good going if that's the worst of our criticisms. Now, we have got quite a few comments to get through. And well, actually, we are going to start with the very first comment that we got in for... Uh, Paper Gods, and it is from our good friend uh, Jason Lent, who is Velvet Rebel Music on Twitter. And he says, This is really pop trash. I rate it last in their discography. Last Night in the City is the ultimate old man in skinny white jeans song. Don't knock it until you've tried it, Jason. Every bonus track eclipses songs on the actual album. The middle part is completely forgettable. Sunset Garage is lovely and reminds me of Stop by Spice Girls, just a breezy Motown vibe to it. Title track is solid. Pressure Off is basically Notorious 2.0. After All You Need Is Now, this seemed messy and I think too many producers gave it a disconnected feel. Danceophobia is delicious, though so so fun. So obviously, it's again, this is what we say on repeat every, every podcast episode. This is what's so great about it, that one man's top out of the 15 albums is another person's bottom 15. So there will be some people who would rate Paper Gods quite highly. Jason rates it 15 out of 15. I never expected it to be such a, almost a controversial album in, in that sort of respect. So it has been very interesting. I'll move on to one of our more pro-choice tweets going on. Uh, Graham from Glasgow. Do you know him? Uh, I don't. Fun, funnily enough, in a city of about 800,000 people, I don't know everyone. Ah, huh, go figure. Anyways, um, Graham says, some really good tracks, but also a few I can easily skip. Working with four producers seemed to create a mixed bag with no distinct album sound or vibe. But his top three were The Universe Alone, Pressure Off, and Paper Gods. Low Points, Planet Roaring, and You Kill Me With Silence. Fair enough. I mean, I see where he was coming from about the, the four producers, but I thought it sounded like a pretty cohesive unit going on. The next comment comes from Graham D. Richardson, who's based in Birmingham. And Graham ranks at number 14 out of the 15 albums for me. I didn't like it when it first came out. Still don't like it now. Strangely, the bonus tracks are all great. Northern Lights is one of the all-time greatest Duran Duran songs. So it kind of mirrors what Velvet Rebel Music said, that actually they preferred the bonus tracks to the, the main 12, which is what we're going to go through. Next one is from H with the tag of At Wisdom of Harry. Apparently in the minority, but Paper Gods was Duran's best post-reunion album for me. Has a few tracks I don't love, but the better song on Paper Gods are better than the best songs on All You Need Is Now. Now there's a statement to make. Pressure Off is a great dance tune. Bonus track Cinderella Ride is a top five Duran Duran song for me. 170 Dan, 
he ranks Paper Gods 11 out of 15. Highlights are What Are the Chances, Change the Skyline and Only in Dreams. The low points are Danceophobia and Pressure Off. Title track is way too long and the social commentary feels forced. Universe Alone is a cool ending track that disintegrates before our ears. Last Night in the City made for good remixes. Then the next one we have is CJ Silva Halo. In my ranking, Paper Gods is a solid number five and Pop Trash follows at number six. So funny how we're all seeing things so differently. Paper Gods is exceptional. There's only one song that I never play. And the only thing I would say about that comment is if CJ Silver Halo is listening, can you tell us what that one track is that you, you don't play? Because you didn't mention it in your tweet. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what song it is that you don't play. Then the next one we have is Jonathan Ebbs. He says, some good tracks, but also some filler. Not terrible, but rarely play it. Also the worst cover art since Decade. Horrible. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. The next one's from Kylie. I'm not sure if it is Kylie Minogue. I'm presuming she's a big Duran Duran fan and probably a long-time listener of the podcast. So if it is, Kylie, thanks for listening. Hi, Kylie. Kylie rates Paper Gods 13th out of 15 for me. Can I just say, actually, I'm going to apologise to Kylie if she's listening because I'm sure she's sick of people always comparing her to Kylie Minogue. So apologies, Kylie. 13th out of 15 for me. Uh, Liberty and Red Carpet Massacre are worse in my opinion. The only songs I revisit are the title track and Pressure Off and the bonus track on Evil Beach. The rest is uninspiring and the screech fest that is Last Night in the City is particularly horrid. It's really just too much Nick for my taste. Wow, Last Night in the City is really not getting any love tonight, is it? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, exactly. Then we um, come on to Andy who says, a bit indifferent about this one. Love Paper Gods, Pressure Off, and Universe Alone, but can take or leave the rest, really. Don't hate the album, and I've actually listened to it loads. It was my go-to running album for a while, but it's definitely not their best work. And Hey Parker, who is based in Texas, says, it's a solid thumbs up for me, but nowhere near their best. It's disjointed, but still glossy. Last Night in the City is horrid, though, like it's Red Carpet Massacre compressed into a single song. Do you know that way we were saying it got me thinking because of all these and I kind of got a feeling of it beforehand before we started asking for comments that there wasn't a massive amount of love for Paper Gods. There was a lot of indifference at best and obviously quite a few people rate it quite low in the whole discography. And again, I, I can't remember back to actually how I felt when Seven and the Ragged Tiger came out after Rio, but I've said a few times that I found that quite disappointing because of what I was maybe anticipating and expecting on the back of Rio. And I wonder if a lot of people, because all you need is now was near enough universally acclaimed, universally loved, it was the Duran Duran sound, it was brought up to date, but it still referenced the past. And then so when the next album came out, maybe people were maybe not wanting exactly the same, but there was maybe that disappointment because it wasn't anything that they were anticipating. Okie dokie, I've got the next one that's, not so good from Cinder Lou Who in Ackland, Pennsylvania. Paper Gods was so so for me from the start. Some great tracks, mostly the bonuses, and then some real zonkers. Danceophobia comes to mind first, and it's not because of Lindsay Lohan. What the hell was she doing on that song? But anyway, <laughs> the chorus is just annoying. Album lands in my top 10, but barely. Best tracks are Cinderella Ride, The Bass, Smiley Face, Planet Roaring, Kill Me with Silence. The worst being Danceophobia, Sunset Garage, and Paper Gods. They're not bad songs, but there's a musical element in each that lowers their rating. 10 out of 15? It's interesting because obviously we're, we're going to be approaching the time where we're going to start doing the top 15 podcasts, where, and you and I will, will do them as well. Just now, I'm not quite sure. It's floating around about the middle, but there's quite a few albums for me that are floating around about the middle that I think I said to you before, probably from about seven or eight through to about 11 or 12 somebody could take position seven or position 12 and interchange that there's, there's quite a few that are of a, I like them, but I don't love them or dislike them intensely. I think this one might enter into my top five. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you may be resonating with CK Shortell, who says, I love Paper Gods. Very much enjoy the funk stroke goth direction. Face for Today is a top 10 Duran Duran song for me. Love the title track, love all the bonus tracks. Sunset Garage and Change the Skyline grew in me and I love them now. Only in Dreams and Universe Alone 
is an amazing end. Great album. In terms of ranking it, it's by far my favourite reunion era album and probably has fewer skip tracks for me than any Duran Duran LP since Big Thing. Even at its worst, Dance Phobia and Last Night in the City is better than the low points elsewhere in the catalogue. This will not be a popular opinion. I say yay for unpopular opinions. Then we've got uh, one of our usual contributors, Well Chuffed Rick, who says, this is the only Duran album he never purchased. I've streamed it on many occasions and still not felt any need to buy it. It has a couple of good tracks, but despite being poppy, brackets, white jean tracks, ahoy. We have definitely started something here, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I don't find it an easy listen, a mediocre follow-up to a sensational album. So it sounds like, you know, he's kind of following along the lines of what you were just saying, Paul, that, that maybe it just wasn't quite living up to everybody's expectations at that point in time. And it kind of takes me back to when I read that email from Eva Foster, when she mentioned that she'd actually, you know, for example, she she was a fan of the Thank You album, which I guess would be in the minority. And the it's, only you know, in the world. <laughs> <laughs> she may well be, but, you know, it's the same way as that Will Chuffrick said, Paper Gods is the only Duran Duran album he's never purchased, which certainly hints that it's probably his least favourite album. But, you know, again, it's, it's what one person hears and loves it and another person hears it and, think so I need to skip that track so that always fascinates me and I have to say I haven't purchased an album in no I tell a lie I did buy Future Past but everything else I stream so that's not a criticism I still you know you can still love stuff you stream and the the last comment for now comes from Nick Thompson who says after the two previous albums I didn't really enjoy this and still struggle a little Pressure Off sounds great live, but this is, meh. Where did the guitars go? It's number 11 in my list. Certainly if you elevate Paper Gods to your top five, I think you probably will be in a minority, actually. I think so, but that sits quite comfortably with me. I don't (laughs) mind at all. Well, we're we're going to start talking about the Paper Gods album. Coming up later, uh, we've got part 16 of the Janan Janan story. And we also have another top three this time from a guy called Seth Wainwright. But without further ado, let's get into the Paper Gods album. And we start at the very beginning with the title track. What do you think of the Paper Gods song, Molly? Well, I have learned from the master, (laughs) Sensei Paul, and it's all about the opening track, isn't it? And I think that this song just really gets off to a great start. It's got a really good beat and it's it's upbeat and it was featuring Mr. Hudson. I think he produced it as well. And I think the the general vibe that he gave to the album was a little bit more the the gothic-y kind of navel gazing downbeat kind of lyrics. And what's been really interesting about his production is that he's taking these kind of downbeat lyrics, but against a really good upbeat tempo. And I think this is just a really good um, example of it. And I have really, really enjoyed the Paper Gods uh, track. And Mr. Hudson, I find really interesting as well, because I remember him back when he was, he had his own band. I can't remember what the single was called. And then he's recently cropped up working with the Scissor Sisters. And I know the Scissor Sisters have worked with Duran Duran and Miss Anna. You know, she did a track on um, the last album with them. So it's, it's interesting. It's a nice little incestuous pool of producers and musicians going on I think recently with with Duran Duran but yeah I I really like the vibe that he brought to it I have to be honest I had no idea who Mr Hudson was so his real name is Benjamin Hudson McIldowie I think he's from Birmingham which obviously that's what Duran Duran hail from as well but he's obviously decided Mr Hudson gives him a wee bit more street cred in the music business you think he would get much credit if he was called Benji Benji McIldowie it might be great with a bit like some Irish folk music by the name like that, but not producing Duran Duran. I wrote that this was seven minutes and four seconds of musical bliss. As I said to you, I was quite engaged at the time with Duran Duran because I was writing that book. So I was quite excited when the, the album came out and I'd got it. And then when I put on the first track and I love the way it starts, I really love that kind of really slow and understated to the point where you actually think, if I get the volume out, up loud enough, but then you keep it. I think Simon's vocals are great. I think the bass is amazing. It blows me away every time I hear it. 
I also love just the, the title, Paper Gods, as a title of an album and as a song. I think it's just a brilliant, you know, you'd said before that I think it's Nick that just has a book of song titles and then they, they maybe just pluck them out there. I think Paper Gods, such an intriguing and fascinating title because at the time when I was writing the book I was having a go at maybe trying to write a story called Paper Gods I didn't quite get around to doing it but so, so I really I think it's such a strong opening and, and also bold as well because as I say it's over seven minutes long but yeah I think it's a great way to start the album. It's funny you know um, because we have and you have commented on previous albums when there have been some really long tracks and you just like oh this is pure drudgery and I guess it's just like anything else. If you're really digging it and you're enjoying the song, then it could be 25 minutes long and you'd probably be happy about it. But as soon as you don't like something, of course, two and a half seconds is going to be too long. But yes, the number of times that I had to crank up, maybe that was their ploy that you make sure that you're listening to it like volume at, set at 10. And, and that's the reason why it starts out so quietly, just so that you have it all the way up. So when it does kick in, breaks your speakers. Now, we mentioned when we were talking about the comments, you had said there wasn't a lot of love for Last Date in the City. How are we going to change that? Do I need to stand on like a soapbox and like start doing my debate here in, in honor of Last Night in the City? I love this song. It features Keisha, I think is a way. Keisha? I don't know. Sorry if I'm absolutely massacring that, how you say your name. I like the way you apologize just in the presumption that she's sitting listening to it. Well, you know, if we've got Kylie, we've got Duran Duran, we may as well have Keisha as well. <laughs> I'm going with it. I'm working with it. But um, the first time I heard this song, I had to double check the liner notes to it because I thought she sounded so much like Lady Gaga on this track. And I am a fan of Lady Gaga. So it started off so well for me. The first comments that I put on it were, I think it fits really nicely following into Future Past. I think it could have fit quite well with future past and the thing that i thought was it feels like it's got so much high energy to it you could just bounce up and down at a gig shouting along to the song waving your fist in the air like you just don't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just you know great song and and this is one of the reasons why i love music to be able to go to a gig and just let your hair down almost all the way down like yours paul but um just really really enjoy yourself and just get a sweaty hot mess at a gig, and this song, I bet, would be awesome live. That's poor having a dig at the bald man on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to the end, you know. Got to get them all in. Feel free to, to hit it back at me. I was really surprised, actually, at the level of animosity towards Last Night in the City. Obviously, some people like songs more than others, but I, I was quite surprised at how much people disliked it. You know, in reference to some of the comments, this is definitely a skinny white jeans song. And it's, what's interesting is that you're saying that you can see it, it would sit in future past. I wrote that you can very much feel and hear the Red Carpet Massacre influence on it. That's, that's a song where I think you can definitely see the link between those albums. I really like it. Again, I, I think it's a, a really catchy song. Interestingly, and I didn't know this, again, apologies to Keisha if, if that's not how we pronounce her name. It was only when I was just doing research for this that I hadn't realised that she... She was in quite a serious car crash back in 2017 and I think didn't sing or perform or do anything for two years and, you know, was pretty seriously ill. But I think, she, I think she sounds great on this. Obviously, some people made comment of Simon's maybe more high-pitched than usual, but I really like Last Night in the City. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I've got a lot of love for it. And, you know, that's interesting, you know, that the people are saying that they thought that Simon's voice was a bit strained on it. I thought, again... I. I've thought it over the last, the previous two albums as well, that Simon's voice has been getting stronger. You can see other bands who started out way back in the distant past, that the, the singer's voices are aging not particularly well. It does feel quite strained. But apparently there was, um, there was an interview uh, with Simon after this song. And uh, he had said in DuranDuran.com that after a few years of rebuilding with a voice therapist, I developed a power I've never had before. It's a power of being in a completely relaxed manner. And then he added, when I listen to older recordings, particularly live things, I was much more strained. I've learned to relax my whole head, neck, shoulders, and chest when I sing. And I think, you know, obviously it's that work that he did that means that he could carry on into, you know, into his 
more statesmanlike years, shall we say, and to still have a powerful voice. And I just, I don't hear any badness. I mean, there are a couple of songs, maybe a couple of bits that feel a bit more of his higher range kind of straining that he did in, in maybe in the 90s. But this one, I think, is he's in fine voice. Because I feel, if we go on to the next track, You Kill Me With Silence, I feel, again, that's one where it's taken it to the very edges of, of his vocal range. But I think mm-hmm. it works. It was interesting when, again, this is another song, and I've said it in the past, that, you know, if, if you start off for me with, like, one, two, three songs, and I, I really like them, then I'm, I'm immediately a warm to the album. And I think You Kill Me With Silence is a, is a really good song. And it was interesting. I think it was one of the first sessions they did with uh, Benji McIldowey, this song came out of it and Roger was a driving force in it. And having listened to it a few times and then when I read that and then went back and listened to it again and immediately I think the drums stand out even more. He really is the driving force and, and really anchors that track. And I think for me, again, it's another great song. I think some of the critics had mentioned that it was quite chauffeur-y and reminiscent of, of that great track, The Chauffeur. And I can kind of see it in the, in the synth opening. And I guess to a certain extent, the vibe is, I guess, a little bit melancholy. And maybe that's the reason why it um, kind of harks back to the chauffeur. And maybe one of the reasons why I love this album so much is because it is taking me back to my teenage angsty kind of days. And I felt like it just, it really resonated me with me. You kill me with silence. I think there'd been a conversation between Simon and Mr. Hudson, Benji, about, you know, when you've got, when you're in a relationship sometimes the cruelest thing is like to turn away and be silent. So yeah, I, I, I felt that one. I felt that was like a really deep tune for Duran Duran, but it was also a classic Duran Duran slowy. And, you know, it just, it just fit in so well, I think with, I think it was a very consistent kind of vibe throughout this whole, this whole album. And, and you're right. The first three songs here are keeping, setting the bar really high. We are on to track four, which is Pressure Off featuring Janelle Monet, Nile Rogers as well. Where do you stand on Pressure Off? Again, I really, really like this song as well. And when I was um, doing the research, listening to it on, on YouTube, and the video came up and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. So I do actually have a recollection of, you know, back six, seven years ago now of that video coming out because of Janelle Monet. I don't really know her as a musician. But her whole look is just so cool. And the fact that they were working with, with somebody like her, I think it's kudos for both sides. I think, you know, it's just very strong artist on both sides to be uh, working on a track there. And I don't know where I got this one or if it came from a tweet, I can't remember. But I put catchy tune, very danceable, five skinny white jeans reading for me. <laughs> And, that's that's not, I'm, and I'm not taking that in a negative way. I think, you know, a five skinny white jeans is a good rating. Absolutely. Because I, I said, I think it's very funky. Obviously, that's the, the Nile Rogers influence. I think it's very danceable. I think it's a great song. And as someone who doesn't pay much attention to the videos, I remember watching it at the time, just, but again, after that, I would just listen to it. But it just struck me as the video is like they're having great fun. There's that real sense of that in that song, which I think, Somebody mentioned that that it's really great live. I think it's a great song live. I think it's a song that should be a regular on their track listing because it takes them almost right up to date. What I loved about it was, I think it did take them right up to date. I think, you know, maybe a lot of people might have been surprised that Duran Duran are still producing songs like that, you know, when they've been going for so long. And it's so contemporary. And I think it was a really brilliant. And every time I listen to it, I, I I still think it's one of my... Certainly one of my favourite tracks on the Paper Gods album. The fifth track on the album is Face For Today. For me, it's another one where I can really feel the the Red Carpet Massacre influence in yeah. the song. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Because um, I think there were a couple of tracks on this one that, that I said it has. It's almost like, even though I was I was a little bit critical about how much I thought it was a Justin Timberlake and Timberlake album, Red Carpet Massacre, but it does feel like they're the positive genius bits of Timberlake and Justin Timberlake have been morphed over in here. So I'm saying it as a, as a, as a positive 
Because I'm not sure if I'm going to accept when you do your, your top five of that, you have to rate it. Even if you rate it 15, you can't not include Red Carpet Massacre because it's still a Gelangelan album. I'm not, I'm not accepting that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, back to face for today. Yeah, I, I do definitely see the uh, the positive influences of Timberlake on it, but I also see it again as a nice prequel to to Future Past, definitely. And and I really liked the funky beat and the keyboards on this one. The sixth song, which is where we'll kind of draw a temporary halt to our travels through Paper Gods album, is Danceophobia, and it kind of goes from for me like the first four songs, but even the first five songs are pretty strong. And then it kind of it drops off a cliff for me with Danceophobia. For me, it's the, the weakest track on the album. And if I hadn't been listening to the Paper Gods album for this podcast, it's generally a song I would always skip it. I think it, it's almost like something that you just get that feeling that they were just, whether Lindsay Lohan just stumbled upon the studio and they thought, oh, we'll just mess around. We'll do something, you know, like a just a jamming session. They come up with this thing. And then, and then when she goes away, they go, yeah, yeah, Lindsay, it'll definitely be on the album. Then once she goes away, they go, right, bin that track. But obviously somebody never did that. Somebody didn't get the memo there. Yeah, I can't count how many times I've listened to this album over the last few weeks. But um, I was predominantly skipping over the track as well after a, a couple of listens. And, and I just kind of thought it happens on just about every Duran Duran album. They drop a clinger and, you know, I just kind of discounted it. But then... Tonight, before we started the recording, I thought, oh, I'll have a listen again to the album because I just like it that much. And I got to Danceophobia and I was like, okay, I'm going to give it one last chance. I don't know if it was a, a version that had cut out most of the Lindsay Lohan stuff, or maybe I just blacked it out. I'm not too sure, but I was like, mm, I guess it's not so bad. After you listen to it a good few times, it's not a horrendous ear bleeder or anything like that, but it is definitely one of the weaker tracks of the album. It's one of those ones that's it's kind of annoyingly catchy, but that's that's not necessarily a good thing. The birthday song back in the day was annoyingly catchy, but you would never have that. And actually, just in a completely a random thing, I was reading this thing. It was about protesters outside the New Zealand Parliament, and to try and disperse them, the uh, authorities were playing Barry Manilow's greatest hits to try and as a kind of psychological torture on a 15-minute loop to try and disperse them which I thought was absolutely hilarious. And the reason I stumbled upon the story is I work beside a girl who swears and will always swear that uh, seeing Barry Manilow live was the greatest live gig that she's ever seen. I don't know what else to say apart from that. I was raised on Barry Manilow, but I never did get to see him live. And I haven't, and I probably won't ever see him live. But uh, the man is a classic. But anyways, moving, we move on. Moving swiftly on, we take a temporary break from our Paper Gods travels, to continue the story of Duran Duran. We're now up to part 16. As always, it's narrated by my daughter, Rebecca. And I'm hoping that if one thing comes out of Rebecca doing this, that at some point she's going to be sitting in a pub at a quiz and there'll be a Duran Duran question and she'll answer it and win the quiz. And I would be so impressed. And it'll be because of this. And you'll be like proud father moment and go, that's my girl. Absolutely. So here is the story of Duran Duran. Part 16. The story of Duran Duran, Part 16. In September 2015, Duran Duran unveiled their 14th studio album with the release of Paper Gods. The album hit number five in the UK charts making Duran Duran one of only a handful of bands to have produced top five albums in four consecutive decades, while in the US it reached number 10 in the Billboard 200 chart, their first top 10 album in the States since the wedding album back in 1993. Paper Gods had a number of producers at the helm, Mr Hudson and Joshua Blair, Niall Rogers and Mark Ronson, and for some fans it was a case of too many producers spoiled the product, as opinion has remained divided on the album's merits. Similarly, the Paper Gods cover has also proved divisive. Designed by artist Alex Israel, it is his 2013 painting titled Sky Backdrop that features various icons that represent the band's history. There were a number of collaborations on the tracks, with Janelle Monet, Chiesa and Lindsay Lohan amongst those popping up on the album. Pressure Off was the first single from the album, 
which featured guest vocals from Janelle Monae, was initially released in the United States via Microsoft's Xbox Music. Duran Duran subsequently embarked on a world tour to promote the Paper Gods album. The Paper Gods journey continues and we are on to what would be track seven. That is What Are The Chances? And what are the chances of you liking this song? 227%. (laughs) How about that? You know, Duran Duran do great slow songs. They do the cinematic epic tunes. And I think this is just right there in the middle of all that. Again, you know, I, I seem to be in this kind of gig mode at the moment and I could just see everybody swaying with their lighters in the air down mobile, the fire mobile phones. <laughs> mobile phones remember when the mobile phones had that app with the flame and you could just wave your phone with the flame my mobile phone it stays in my pocket for the entire of uh of, of any live event I refuse to take it out under any circumstances that could be a whole other podcast about the do's and don'ts and etiquette of gig going Every time I go to a live gig and I see people who have spent money to go and see a band that they really like, who are there almost within touching distance, and they take the moment to get their tiny phone out and film it while looking at their phone when the band are there live, I think, I'm better than you. And I know, I mean, I have been in, I've been to a bazillion gigs in my lifetime. And I know when I was younger, I did take my camera thinking that I was going to capture these amazing moments only to go back and look at it once the next afternoon and it have the worst tinny sound to it the worst quality just the crappest of everything and now I'm very much in that same mindset as you Paul be in the moment enjoy it because it's never ever going to be replicated over the phone I appreciate it's the way of the world you know nothing can replicate being in the moment you know for example when I went to see Duran Duran the the Paper Gods tour I remember being really, again, just being really excited, almost like a kind of flashback to my youth as I waited for them to come on stage. So nothing that I could ever watch again on my phone can replicate that feeling. So I want to enjoy that. I'm not interested in captioning it to tell people later, to show people. I mean, apart from that, I don't think I've got anything interested to say or show people anyway. I don't care. I just want to enjoy that moment. And that's, that's it. So no phones for me. But on the subject of what are the chances, I agree with you. It's another one of my favourites on the album. I think it's a classic kind of slow stroke epic Duran Duran song. I don't know who this, the guitarist John Frusciante, I think his guitar on the, on the song is wonderful. And, you know, after, and again, if we've obviously taken this kind of artificial break, but when you skip or you actually sit and listen through Danceophobia and then they come back, you start to think, oh dear, maybe it's not as good as I thought. And then they come back with what other chances and you feel kind of settled and you go, that's good because that's another brilliant Duran Duran song. Absolutely. And um, I'm just trying to scroll through the Twitter stuff because somebody had made the comment about asking where the guitars were. And I think, yeah, John is an amazing guitarist. He, He was with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and he had allegedly been a Duran Duran fan. And I think it was through some sort of conversations that Duran Duran had heard that he was such a big fan and that's the reason why they brought him on. But I just think, yeah, the guitar on this was fantastic. And there was um, a little blurb I found when I was doing the research on this song. It says, the song is a soaring new wave anthem with earnest evocative lyrics like a diamond explodes. What are the chances? Now, for some, that may be like, what the heck does that mean? But then for others, it could be quite inspired. And then the quote goes on to say, the electronic arrangement swells with orchestral textures and the epic sonic style is reinforced by lead guitar wailing from former Red Hot Chili Peppers member, John Frusciante. So yeah, I I think it's one of the other bonus tracks that he plays a a big part on. And it's just, yeah, it's lovely. And it's it's not kind of the Warren Kukurulu, what I kind of always used to see as egotistical guitar messing around showing off were you, um, were you struggling there to think of something that didn't have an expletive in it 
<laughs> yes, I was actually just trying to keep it clean for the listeners here. But um, but yeah, I think you know it was just a a great example of a of a great guitar player. Apparently, so the song, the title of it was almost going to be called "A Diamond Explodes," which is a great title as well. Yeah, and I think I suppose the the one small criticism, apart from the artwork that I have about the album, is you know we've talked so many times about how Simon has always been a great lyricist. And back in the day, his book of poems, nobody really knew what the hell was going on in Simon's head. So nobody really knew what was what his songs meant. And I think these songs are maybe a little bit more literal, maybe, but then they don't seem to go anywhere. And sometimes it did really feel like to me that he just seemed to be stringing words together because they sounded pretty to him or sounded, it seemed to evoke the emotion that he wanted him to. I don't know, but but sometimes... It just seemed a little bit weird. I didn't, I tried not to listen too closely to the lyrics on this one this time around. I just thought the instruments were just quality. So I didn't have to listen to the lyrics too hard. But on to the next track, which is Sunset Garage, uh, which uh, again, going back to the comments, Velvet Rebel Music said it reminded them of Stop by Spice Girls. For me, it was just pure bubblegum pop song, which is, I like a bit of pure pop music. Yeah, it was one um, one of the few that didn't really ram home to me how good it was. It's grown on me. I, I do like the song. Um, and I quite like the uh, opening section with the bass, the drum and the keys being at the forefront of it all. But again, I go back to what I just said about the meaningless lyrics. What the heck? What's a sunset garage? Because all I was thinking about during the whole song was my mental picture about the song is a bunch of old men sitting outside a petrol station on Sunset Boulevard. Now, I'm sure that's not the vibe that Simon was trying to, to put on this one. Obviously not with like a, you know, a, a bubblegum pop thing to it. But yeah, what the hell? What's a Sunset Garage? But see, that's good. That's a good thing that whatever the, the song's about or whatever he was meaning in the lyrics, the fact that that conjures up that image for you, that's a good thing, I think. Okay. <laughs> not convinced this is the point where and it's probably why maybe for me Paper God doesn't higher up maybe when it comes to my rankings is that it does take a slight dip for me so obviously Danceophobia I thought was a really poor track they redeemed themselves and Sunset Garage is fine as I say it's just a throwaway pop song but I, I think there was a slight dip before they, they kind of they raised their game again towards the end because if you go on to change the skyline for me this would be one of the songs that I suppose better than Danceophobia, but it's instantly forgettable for me. As I say, I thought it, this is where, the, for me, the album just took a wee slight dip in the, the standard of what they'd been bringing out up to then. Yeah, I know what you're, what you're saying, because I think um, I had even commented to you after you know the first couple of listens for me, I thought that the first half of the album, super duper strong. And then I did feel like it had kind of dipped as well. But now that I've listened to it, so often now, I think I'm just as much of a fan of the second half of the album as I was of the first. But I get what you're saying, you know, um, that this is a bit of a nothing sound to it. But the, the, the notes that I made against this one was apparently it features somebody called Jonas Bier. I don't even know who that is. I don't know what's so special about him or, or why it would make a, um, it being special for, for him to be on it. But I thought it was a slightly different sound to the usual Duran Duran stuff, but I still liked it. Kind of had a retro sort of synthesizer sound to it. And, you know, I'm not averse to some retro synths going on every once in a while. And then as well, I, I kind of thought maybe there's a little bit of a Ibethan summer party vibe to it all towards the end. I don't know. Maybe I was taking drugs when I was listening to it. Not really. <laughs> just joking. But um, yeah, I thought it was kind of different to the rest of the album but it's still enjoyable so if you if then go on straight on to butterfly girl what's your thoughts on that one so my first <clears throat> impression of that one i've put power station vibes but i think that's because of the guitar and that again and mm. um, this is one that, that john frusciante was on so yeah i think guitars do feature quite heavily on this song that's not a, a negative thing i still thought it was a good track again butterfly girl how does that mean? I don't know. This was another one that I thought was quite average. And this is the, you know, as I say, this was the, the bit where the album took a wee bit of a dip for me. 
I thought it was okay, but again, it's it never left a lasting impression on me, and it didn't. It kind of washed over me, and you know, I could take it or leave it. So that that was the two or three songs, Sunset Garage to an extent, but certainly Change the Skyline and Butterfly Girl. I thought they were just pretty average. Do you ever? Um, I mean, I know I've said it so many times over over the past podcast that. You know, a lot of Duran Duran songs are growers, not showers for me. Do you ever think, oh, I need to just listen to that a few more times and, and maybe then you'll get it? Or do you feel like, you know, once you've kind of got your opinion on it, then they don't change? I think I've listened to, certainly with Paper God's album, I've listened to it enough times at the time I did. And then obviously in recent times, and I've kind of made a conscious effort, as I do with every album, just to listen through them all, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. And then some albums that you're less familiar with, maybe that's when you, you kind of think, well, you know, once you've listened to a song a few more times, you either enjoy it more. You know, the, the songs were all familiar with to me when I started listening to it again. So it's always been that, you know, it's not quite, you know, it's maybe not the kind of five-star showing of, of future past with track after track. But at the same time, I think overall, it's, it's a better album than certainly I think maybe a lot of people give it credit. And also, I think, going back to what we read that comment from Simon, that maybe... It will take a wee bit of time and then with a bit more distance from when it came out, then maybe people listen to it again and go, oh, actually, it's not as bad as I, as I thought it was. Again, you know, when I mentioned how I thought that the album took a dip, I think what redeems it for me in particular is the last two tracks. And if you start with Only in Dreams, I mentioned earlier on that I thought Pressure Off is possibly certainly one of my favourites. I think this might be my favourite song on the album. I love the way it slowly builds. I think the, the drums and the bass in it are brilliant as they, they start to emerge. Still got a, a dance element to it, but I, I think this is a, it's a wonderful, wonderful song. Excellent. High praise indeed. I'm sure it was this song that I read that it started off from like an 11-minute guitar solo by Nile Rodgers, and that's how it all came about. I can totally see it. I do like the song. I'm probably not as in love with it as, as you are. Again, I got a little bit hung up on, on the lyrics, talking about a vampire in a limousine. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm not like a teenage girl into vampire movies at the moment. But um, yeah, I think I just got hung up a little bit too much on the lyrics for this one. But I did like Niall's guitar in it. He is a master. And we come to the last track of the, the album, not the deluxe version, so we're not going to go through the, the bonus tracks. So the last the 12th track would be The Universe Alone. And given how much you've enjoyed the Paper Gods album, how do you feel with the, the final track? Again, taking a leaf out of your book, Paul, you got to finish on a high. And, you know, I think this is, it's just a great song. And the thing that keeps going over and over in my head is that the distortion at the end of the song is just really poignant. I don't know if that's the right word, but it just really... The whole feel of this song was like very cinematic again. And I could just imagine an astronaut somehow ejected from his spaceship, floating around in space, contemplating his imminent death. And this song is what's going through his head. I just felt like it was very, really, it was just space and infinite and the futility of it all. Feeling really deep tonight. You, you've uh, you've been conjuring up some extraordinary images from a bunch <laughs> of guys in some garage in Sunset Boulevard to the known or unknown universe. I tell you what it was. I went away to the Lake District at the weekend and I was camping in my van. It was raining so hard. All I could do was listen to this album. So maybe that's just kind of the mood that I was in. I was too deep in my head. And that's where this, <laughs> this shit comes from. <laughs> Because I totally agree with you. I think I think it's a great song to finish the album. Against I think Simon sounds brilliant on the album, and and I do love the distorted ending, and then even just the the fact that it actually ends with the choir. I agree with you. I almost put it, it's almost like spiritual. I think I agree with you. It's kind of cinematic as well. But I actually love the end of that track in particular. But again, those last two songs are as, as strong as anything on the album, and that's why the dips are the dips, but they're not. With the exception of one track, I don't think there's anything that's, that's something I wouldn't listen to again. But I think they really, they get right back up there just to, to show people how good the album is, for me anyway. I agree. And I don't think they've ever used a choral group in any of their 
tracks before this. It's a bit of a first form, but I think it's it's um it worked to to really good effect to kind of add to the etherealness. Is that a word? It is now. Um, <laughs> no, it definitely is. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think I think it did really add to the whole feel of the song, and and yeah, it was just such a a good way to end the album. So I, I'm not sure. In fact, I am, I am actually sure that this isn't going to be in my top five, although unlike a lot of the people who got in touch with us, I do really like the Paper Gods album and I've really enjoyed listening back through it and I think there's some really great Duran Duran songs on it. For me, I think I found it with, for example, certainly Red Carpet Massacre and also maybe even Big Thing, which I remember at the time just being reacquainted with it and then forgetting how brilliant it was and thinking, wow, I absolutely love this album. And so I'm guessing for you just... That must be kind of similar feelings when you, you've listened to Paper Gods and maybe not quite realising or forgetting how much you absolutely loved it. Totally. And, and you know, to go back to um, to the point that Simon was making that you had mentioned earlier, that I think this is going to be an album that I will continue to come back to and listen to it and just realise how good Duran Duran have been. And I think I've said it, like, probably my top five will be albums that I would keep in my Spotify running track list that I listen to regularly. I mean, there'll be some albums that, you know, frankly, I don't care if I never listen to again, to be perfectly honest. But uh, yeah, this this is definitely going to be one that's going to be on repeat for quite some time for me. And I'm, I'm interested when we say it all the time about when people come to choose their top five albums. And I can tell you've already, we've got three or four people who've expressed an interest in taking part in these podcast episodes we're going to do in the kind of weeks and months ahead where we get people to to rate their... I mean, they can rate all 15 and then we'll, we'll just go through their top five and the reasons why. Probably ask them what their number 15 is and why they've chosen whatever one it is that, that's the bottom of the pile. I think it'd be really interesting. Even just when it comes to asking you what your top five is and vice versa, I think that'd be quite interesting when you're actually put on the spot and then the reasons why... Is it musical reasons? Is it sentimental reasons? I'm fascinated to, to find out. Absolutely. I think it's going to be really good. So do you want to do your plug now to try to see if anybody else wants to join in on the party with those? Yeah, basically, so we've had some people that have just got in touch to say they're really keen, uh, which is brilliant. So so just now, if, if anybody wants to get in touch with us, I either messages on Twitter, which is at Albums Duran, or you can drop us an email, which is duranduran at paulcuttahey.com, just to say that you like to take part I'll, we'll just get back in touch and then even just to let you have a think for a few weeks of what your top five is going to be I would still try to rate all 15 I think that'd be quite a, a challenge as I say we'll probably ask you what's the bottom of the barrel and then you know your reasons why and then over over the next couple of months or so we'll start to arrange to do podcasts and get people on so we can chat through it and we can it also gives us a chance I think to meet some of the people who've been listening to the podcast and have really kind of helped to make this a real joy to do. Absolutely, because this has been album number 14. So we are coming to the end of talking about the Duran Duran albums. So if you guys want to get in on the act and tell us what your favorite albums were, I think that would be a great way to to end end the podcast. <laughs> but before, before you get too emotional, we do have, <laughs> as we always have in each of the episodes, someone who chooses their top three Duran Duran songs, which again, as you'll hear, it's a, it's a guy called Seth Wainwright. He acknowledges the difficulty, the impossibility of doing it. And it's just at that moment. Uh, so this is Seth and his top three Duran Duran songs. Hi, my name is Seth Wainwright, and I am from Derbyshire in the United Kingdom. I've been a Durrani now for, well, must be almost 25, 30 years, in fact, because I got into Duran Duran when I had an interview for a place at a university about an hour from where I lived when I was 17. And my parents took me there, dropped me off. And as I walked onto the campus, I noticed there was a record fair on. So took a quick detour to have a rummage around the record fair and had such a great time that I completely forgot 
about the interview and missed it and obviously didn't get a place there, much to the fury of my parents. But what I did get on that day was a copy of Notorious on cassette, which I listened back to in the car on the way home, which was great because my parents weren't talking to me. So instead, I listened to that album and instantly fell in love with it. I'd never heard anything really like it before. It was that mix of electronica, rock and funk that just completely grabbed me. And I've been a fan ever since. So my top three songs, of course, I know this doesn't need saying, but so difficult when you love so many songs over so many albums. But certainly today, anyway, I've managed to bring it down to these three tracks. So for me, at number three, I put American Science off the Notorious album. I still remember hearing that song on that day when I came back from the record fair at that university and just fell in love with it. It was groovy. It was funky. It just, it just sounded so good, even on my cheap Walkman headphones. At number two, I'm going to put Midnight Sun off the Medazaland album. That's an album I bought a great expense on import from a record store in London because it wasn't released here in the UK at that time. So it cost me a lot of money. And to be honest, didn't fall in love with it. Took a lot of listens to really get into it. But Midnight Sun just stood out from anything else on that album. And I still think it's a masterpiece. It's haunting. It's got such a beautiful soundscape. It's moving, melancholy, yet uplifting at the same time. The demo version is also very good with that big, rockier outro, if you can track that down. But I, I love the final version, too. And now I know more about what the lyrics were all about. It just adds another layer of enjoyment for me. And at number one, so difficult. Oh, so difficult. But I'm going to plump for Palomino off the Big Thing album. For me, that's their best album. It's certainly my favorite album. And I was thrilled to hear it get such a great review from you guys during the podcast. I agree with everything you said. It's just great start to end. But Palomino, it's just one of those songs that I adore. And I'm not even sure what it is about it. It's hard to explain why I love it so much. I can't really deconstruct it and tell you why. It's just got magic dust sprinkled over it. And it sounds as fresh today as it did the first time I heard it some 25 odd years ago, which is, a, is the sign, I think, of a truly great song from a truly great band. So there you go. Those are my top three. Thoroughly enjoying the podcast. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you so much for keeping me company when I walk the dog. That's the only opportunity I get to listen to it. But it's, it's great to be in the company of such enthusiastic and articulate fellow Durrani. So all the very best for the future, guys. Keep, it, keep up the good work. Cheers. Bye-bye. Molly, you were getting a wee bit sentimental there as we're coming to the end of the 15 albums because we've obviously, we've already spoken about Future Past. Just an initial reaction after a few days, we're going to do it again, having the benefit of a few months listening to it. And it was interesting, I have been listening to it in between Paper Gods, just partly because I think it's, you know, I still love it, but it was just interesting to see, you know, you mentioned it a few times of that link between the two albums and, and also the fact that they, they've released the deluxe version. So the, the bonus tracks in particular, uh, Laughing Boy, which again, probably made it, I mean, on the original album as well. I've very much been chopping and changing between the two, Future Past and, and Paper Gods. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing a, a proper, considered chat about it all rather than just first impressions. And yeah, again, Future Past has been an album that I've been listening to pretty much since it was released. So I'm looking forward to having that chat again. And also, and just in case anybody's worried that they're, they're, uh, they'll be bereft without us, we're obviously going to try and line up these top 15, they're the top five out of 15 podcasts. But we'd spoke before about doing one of the opening tracks from the 15 albums and going through that and getting people to choose their favourites. And we'll probably intermittently just, we'll come up with a subject and we'll just we'll do something. Because again, it's quite good to get that interaction and just an excuse to, to keep talking about Duran Duran, really. I know. It's so, it's so funny. You know, the fact that we're even doing this podcast, I never in a 
bazillion years thought I would ever be one to do a podcast. Now that we've done it and, you know, we've had some of our contributors who put tweets up have just been amazing. And, you know, I've really enjoyed that. And, and if, if you guys could please give us the time and do your top five albums with us, that would just be amazing because it has been an amazing ride this. Yeah, and as, as we, right at the very start of this podcast, as we showed when we read out Eva Foster from Melbourne, her email, if you want to write and say lovely things about us, we will definitely read that out in a future episode. But come on, Paul, let's be balanced. Let's kind of be the BBC here and go, you know, feel free to, to give whatever opinions they may be. We might just do a, a podcast episode where it's just like people say nice things about us. We might get lynched if we do that. <laughs> We're not that egotistical, are we? Certainly not, but... I'm looking forward to another chat about Future Past because, again, it just means that it gives us an excuse for a couple of weeks to listen nonstop to the album. Absolutely. As if there's a, you need an excuse, but I'm looking forward to it again as well. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Albums Duran or email us at durandurand at paulcudahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast. And in the meantime, keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.